The scripture reading for today is from the book of Matthew, chapter 26, verses 1 through 5. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. Good morning. Let's open up this part of the service with another word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we again can meet even though we're separated by a distance. We ask, Father, that you would speak through the words who were just read and other words of scripture that we will reference. Father, we know that you will speak, but we ask that you would make us receptive, that we would really want to hear from you, and we would really want to follow you. We thank you for your love, for your word. Speak through my words now, Father. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been confused about what's really going on? Oh boy, to ask that question on a day like today. Yes, we were confused about what's really going on, how long it's going to last. Well, here's a man who was taking care of a cat for his sister. And he went out on the porch and he saw the cat eating out of the bowl for the food. So he sat down next to it and started to pet it. Then he saw the cat going along the railing of the porch. And he looked over to the side and saw that he was petting a raccoon. It didn't end well, by the way, either. But can you imagine thinking something's one way and it's another? This is really what's happening when we have Palm Sunday and then the transition all the way to what we call Good Friday. There's a lot going on that people didn't understand. It was something very different going on than they expected. And on Palm Sunday, as the people praised the Lord and welcomed Jesus as the coming Messiah, did they fully understand what was going on? And of course they didn't. We understand that because some of those same people would have been the ones that would have been shouting crucify him a few days later. We're going to look at the irony of the Son of God coming in to the world to this point to suffer and die, but also the plan of God or his sovereignty that he was in control today. The first part of the background is that this was Tuesday or Wednesday of the week that we would call Holy Week. Sometimes we believe that there is an extra Sabbath because there would be a Passover Sabbath and another one. But it was Tuesday or Wednesday of this week that was happening. And so the text that we're going to look at today is after the time where Jesus has entered Jerusalem on a Sunday. We'll reference that as we go back into the context today. But we're looking at a couple days later for Jesus. And we want to look at the broader context of the Gospel of Matthew um, and see that there was irony there too. 
because Jesus is presented in the broader context of Matthew as the judge of the universe. Take one verse or two verses, for example. In Matthew 21, verses 42 and then 44, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, Jesus here was talking about himself. And he was be the one who would be rejected this week. And yet it was thrown aside. And imagine a stone, and this is really uh, not a cornerstone, a foundation stone, but it's a capstone. And so it's the top and the most important stone, maybe the top stone in an arch that would be held up. And so the builders rejected and said, this is no good. And then it became the most prominent stone in the structure. And this is what Jesus is like. And then he continues on in verse 44. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Now, again, he's the stone in the story. And anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. And so we're told that everyone will have to answer to Jesus. And he announces this in the short time before he goes to the cross. And here the judge of the universe, ironically, is going to be judged by fallible human courts. And it is ironic that the one that everyone will have to answer to, the one that will either give us salvation or hold us accountable for our sins, is the one that was being judged this week. We also see that Jesus presented as King Messiah by Matthew leading up to this time. In Matthew 23, verse 39, for I tell you, you will not see me again until, I, until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he's talking about his second coming, his return. And when they would shout out this wonderful phrase, but there's much more behind this because this phrase is from the Psalms. It's from Psalm 118, verse 26. But this phrase is quoted just on Palm Sunday, which is two days before our text today. And so we read Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we will bless you. But then when Jesus entered on Palm Sunday in Matthew 21, 19, we see the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And so this Hosanna, this save now is what Hosanna means. And this messianic shout Jesus talked about, and the people unwittingly sung it, welcoming him as Messiah. And so he's the king, and he would have a sign marked on the top of his cross, the king of the Jews. And yet, would you crucify the king of kings and lord of lords? And so there's irony here as well. And we may start to wonder, how is God's sovereignty playing out? But hang on, we'll get there. We also see that Jesus is the glorious son of man. We'll talk a little bit more about this title later on in the message. But notice in this verse, Matthew 25, 31, how the word glorious occurs two times. When the son of man comes in his glory... And all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. The repetition of the glorious. 
And so Jesus would be the glorious God-man, the ultimate man, the second Adam. And here he is being treated as the worst of men and being crucified with criminals. We see irony. We also see irony in the text itself, not just the context. And so now we're in the part that is being read. And we see that it harmonizes with the rest of the, of the Gospel of Matthew. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace or courtyard of the high priest. Notice the groups of people that are here. The chief priests, the elders of the people, and the high priests. These are the people who should have known better. These are the people whose task it was to be in the word of God so they would recognize the Messiah. And of all people, they should have said, is this the Messiah? And looked at the Old Testament prophecies like Isaiah 53 and realized they were walking into history. And precious few of them did. I know Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea but the rest of the Jewish ruling council would just plug their ears to this. And it's ironic that these people who should have known best and had the best handle on scripture didn't get it. And we also notice the long title for the elders, the elders of the people. That's the full title they would use. Why then does Matthew use the full title to emphasize that these people should have been serving the people, but Ironically and sadly, they were serving themselves and trying to keep their own position and station in, in place. And they were jealous of Jesus because he had more followers. And because of that, they did not see that the one who could save their sins was in their midst and they would put him on a cross. We also see that they plotted to arrest and kill him. They schemed, they plotted, they planned carefully on how they could do this. And they wanted to get rid of him. They had made this decision. And if God had not allowed this, if Jesus had not played along and recognized this was what he was supposed to do, no one could touch Jesus. He was the creator of the ends of the earth. He is king of kings and lord of lords. Yes, he was in his humiliated state, become the God-man, but no one could do anything to him that he did not receive. And yet they're plotting to arrest and kill him. And notice the word secretly in the NIV. It's actually worse than it sounds in secretly. It actually means in a sly way or with guile or contrivance. You see, they didn't have anything on Jesus. And so they had to fabricate things. They had to bring up witnesses and play around with words so they could charge him. This is how far it got. And this shows us how far we can get from the truth. You see, the truth was too painful to them. If the truth came and really opened their eyes and they realized that Jesus was God's son become man to save them from sins, then they had to humble themselves so big and so much because they were wrong that none of them did it. And sadly, they stayed the course. And it's much better to be humble and to recognize our need and to recognize him as savior than to be on the wrong side. 
we also then want to do the, deal with the other point of our message. The title is Irony and Sovereignty. How is God in control in all of this? Well, we know the big picture from John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We know that does answer the reason why this was allowed. No, the reason why this was planned by God. And so there was prophecy, and we could spend all kinds of time just dealing with the prophecies, but just staying in Matthew with Jesus himself prophesying what was going to happen to him. Jesus said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away. He's just starting, and then he's going to tell them what is going to happen to them, to him at Passover, that he would be crucified, but also that he would rise from the dead. So God is in control. I told you before I started out as a church planter in Rugby, North Dakota, also helped uh, plant another church in ranch country to the west. And so I got in on cattle drives, taking the cattle out of the scruff forest um, of the Sandhills. And I had not ridden horses much and had never driven cattle. And I still can remember Oren, this archetypical cowboy, He's a massive man. His arms were as big as my legs and tall, strong, um, you know, man that uh, could do anything. And I had found the cattle at the watering hole because I was really good at scouting them. I guess I could think like a cow. But Oren came up to me and said, man, you really have those cattle under control. And I started to laugh. He said, why are you laughing? I said, they're under control because they want to be under control. I knew nothing of what I was doing. You see, it was completely beyond me. Actually, some other people came, spooked the cattle, and it took all of us to gather them back up. The illusion of control is often in our lives. But you see, God is in control even here in these passages where it doesn't look like he's in control. But he was offering up Jesus so that we might be forgiven of our sins so that we might have eternal life. And so Jesus had prepared them. Notice that as you know, what is he referring to as you know? Well, maybe Matthew 16, 21, where it says from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and raised to life. Well, there's one thing. So he says, as you know, maybe it's Matthew 17. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. Maybe it's Matthew chapter 20, where he says, as you know, referring back to, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will be, condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. Notice the detail he prophesied. On the third day, he will be raised to life. You see, he was just reiterating prophecies from the Old Testament. And so he is walking into prophecy and prophesying himself. You see, God was in control. Jesus is walking the path God had chosen. And even though it looked ironic, 
it was God's choice to give his very son to surrender himself in weakness, this one who was all strength. We also see in the title of son of man, Jesus said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover two days away, he called himself the son of man. This is the way Ezekiel, by the way, um, was referred to by God and the messengers of God. It was a title that Jesus embraced after he was incarnated, after he took on human flesh, that means, after he became a man while still remaining God. And so he was the son of God, but now after that incarnation, he was also son of man. And he took it as a prophecy that he was the second Adam, whereas in Adam all sin, in Jesus all will be made alive. And so are you in Jesus? That's the only question. This is from the Apostle Paul. It's also normally a glorious title, as we saw in one of the earlier verses. It also can emphasize his humiliation and suffering, that the Son of God, King of kings and Lord of lords, became a son of man. And so it merges both his glory and his humiliation. And it also shows that God was in control. What about the Passover? The Passover began... Um, with a sacrifice of the lamb on Thursday, or some people believe Wednesday, but one of those days it would be the Passover lamb. And at that point was the time that was instituted. And then, of course, they'd have the Passover meal, which Jesus used to turn into communion, and we'll be celebrating this first communion service, the only one that looked forward on Maundy Thursday. And we'll celebrate now we looking back because he took these elements and made them real and brought more life to them, bringing in the whole idea of how God had passed over judgment of the Israelites because of the blood of the lamb and how Jesus is the blood of the lamb. And on communion, of course, we're told to eat of Jesus' body and blood and he becomes a Passover lamb that allows God's judgment to pass over us. And so we see that Jesus was in control, that God was in control, even though it appears ironic that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What about the betrayal? We see in 26 verse two, the son of man will be handed over. That can be translated betrayed, handed over to be crucified. So he would be betrayed and he would be crucified. Um, the betrayal was repeatedly announced by Jesus, even after the Last Supper, where he calls out Judas physically, and Judas leaves to do the deed of his betrayal, and later that night betrays Jesus with the sign of a kiss. So he was betrayed by one of those who was closest to him. This too was a part of prophecy and shows that God was in control. And the crucifixion, of course, that God would die, we could turn to Isaiah 53 and see how he was the sin bearer for us. I want to read from Zechariah 11, verses 12 and 13. I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they valued me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. 
Now, we don't have time to go into all the detail, but this is the prophecy that Judas was walking into and how he was paid this dirty money for betraying the one close to him. And then in Deuteronomy, we learned that the way that Jesus died was an accursed way. And it was the way he took away the curse that is upon us because we are in our sin. Chapter 21, starting with verse 22. If someone guilty of a capital offense is put to death and their body is exposed on a pole, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Be sure to bury it that same day because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. And so we see that the way the Romans used and how this strangely came into place that this item of torture by this pagan society was used was walking into prophecy so that he might take our curse so that we might be free of it. And so he would get what we deserve. And so we see God was in control. I have a few application suggestions. The first one is simply just to meditate on God's deep love. In Holy Week, we remember God's love in sending Jesus. We remember Jesus' love in staying the course, even though he cried out three times for it not to drink this bitter cup. Yet he knew it was the only way, and so he went to the cross for us. Meditate on how deeply you're loved. And if you haven't, receive the blessing that Jesus bought for you with his blood and receive the eternal life that comes with his resurrection. Admit that you have failed, that you have sinned, but that God loves you anyway and sent Jesus on a mission into this world to save you and say, save me, Jesus. Forgive my sins. At that moment, you become a child of God and you have eternal life. That is the reason we celebrate this week. And of course, if you have done this, tell someone the story of Jesus or your story of how Jesus found you. This is a time to share that we are loved despite what we have done and that we can not only be forgiven our sins, but transformed day by day into the image of Jesus Christ, our Savior. It is he we worship.